The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's Moving Medicine video and podcast. Today, we have an update on advocacy issues important to physicians, including Medicare payment reform and a reaction to the Dobbs decision. This episode is brought to you as part of our ongoing work on the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians. I'm joined today by Todd Askew, the AMA Senior Vice President of Advocacy in Washington, D.C., and I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Todd, it's great to have you back. Uh, The AMA advocacy team has been extremely busy lately, and I know a huge priority is reforming Medicare payment and protecting physicians from future pay cuts. Uh, CMS recently released its proposed 2023 Medicare physician payment schedule, and there's some big concerns there. Why don't we start by uh, taking us through what those look like? Well, thanks, Todd, and I'm glad to be back. And first of all, I mean, there are some good things in here. There's a significant expansion of of behavioral health services and and cancer screening. Uh, But as you mentioned, there are some uh, significant concerns, uh, not all of which were, were unexpected. Uh, we're in the process of analyzing what is a, a 2,000 plus page uh, regulation, but you know there's some things that are pretty pretty clear uh, right off the bat. Um, and the main one is that it just does not, and by statute really cannot uh, take into effect uh, some of the harsh economic realities uh, that are higher medical uh, inflation cost and and then the continuing COVID-19 concerns. Um, and part of this is played out in uh, some pretty damaging across the board uh, uh, payment reductions, which is something uh, we are obviously very concerned about and are going to be working uh, with Congress to prevent. Can you just clarify for the audience out there, Todd, you said by statute it can't do that. What do you mean by that? Sure. So the formula uh, is, is locked in, uh, parts of it. Not every proposal is locked in, but but the you know two main things that, that are causing uh, a 4.5% reduction in the conversion factor uh, are the expiration of the 3% kind of add-on payment uh, that was included last year, and it was 3.75% the last year before, uh, which was uh, there to offset some previous adjustments they had made. Uh, that expires this year, and uh, we're hopeful to get that extended. And then additional budget neutrality changes uh, brought about by uh, some uh, changes to E&M codes in the, in the inpatient setting mainly. Uh, that's a percent and a half. So overall, uh, we're looking at a conversion factor reduction of about about 4.5%. Those are big numbers too. And of course, if you're reading the papers, you know we're also in a, an inflationary period. How is that addressed in this? So unfortunately, um, it, it's not. Um, the statute, uh, as part of the legacy of the uh, uh, getting rid of the SGR, says for a period here, the update to physician um, payments is zero. Uh, There's a small update built in in the future, uh, not nearly enough to keep up with the cost of inflation. Uh, Physician Medicare fee schedule is really the only fee schedule in all of Medicare, of all types of Medicare providers, you know, hospitals, hospice, home health, et cetera, uh, that does not have some sort of adjustment uh, to keep up with the cost of inflation. And that's what we're that's what we're seeing played out here. Uh, it is not responsive to the uh, real time uh, economic situations that that physicians are facing. So, 
that's, uh, those are a lot of reductions. You know, when you translate into what that means for physicians and patients, how does that look? Well, it means a continuing deterioration of the ability of physicians uh, to care for Medicare beneficiaries uh, in the way in the way they should be cared for. Uh, it's essentially been over 20 years uh, since there's been any real increase in payments under the Medicare physician fee schedule. We spend much of that time uh, fighting off reductions uh, and successfully to an extent, uh, but over time, obviously the lack of inflationary uh, increases is in and of itself a reduction. Uh, and so uh, the real fact of the matter is that practices, especially those heavily reliant on Medicare revenue, smaller practices, rural practices, uh, those that see a lot of seniors, they're not able to keep up with the cost of, of, providing, of providing that care. Uh, it's resulted in, in a lot of <clears throat> changes in the healthcare system, uh, consolidation, a lot of physicians becoming employed, uh, both of which are, are fine you know, choices if it's a choice that a physician makes because that's how they would prefer to practice or how they could better serve their patients. Uh, but it shouldn't be a choice that is forced upon physicians by financial circumstances, uh, which should be addressed uh, by, by Congress and, and, and the administration. That is at least keeping payments uh, in a place where we can keep uh, up with the cost of inflation. So the combination of a lot of these cuts uh, does threaten patient access. Can you talk a little bit about what, what does that mean when we say that? Well, it's keeping the doors open. I mean, obviously physicians are seeing increases in the cost of employing staff. Uh, there's a nationwide uh, shortage of, of employees in a lot of industries. Healthcare is not exempt, uh, especially healthcare, I would say, because we've seen a lot of people leaving the field, uh, a lot of nurses, especially uh, leaving nursing, for example, uh, in, the, in this, you know, kind of back half, backside, hopefully, uh, of the pandemic and everything people have been through. But it's not just because of that. Um, we see inflationary pressures on wages uh, across the board. And, and if you can't you know, pay your staff, uh, if you can't keep up with rent payments or utility payments, uh, if the dollars coming in uh, don't, don't keep up with the increases in those areas, you can't even keep your doors open. And, and if you can't keep your doors open, uh, that means a lot of patients going, going to have to look elsewhere uh, for care. The AMA recovery plan for America's physicians is really rooted in this idea of, you know, we've been through two and a half years at this point of the pandemic. where Physicians have been taking care of this nation and we're looking to really renew that commitment back to physicians. I think what I hear you saying is there are statutory uh, uh, things here at play that put us in this position every year, it seems, of having to kind of fend off cuts like this. How, how do you advocate now to prevent these cuts in the short and the long term? Sure, well, it, it's really, there's really two factors here, especially when it, come, it comes to Medicare. One, you know, we've been discussing here the, the fact that, that Medicare payments uh, don't keep up with the cost of, of providing care. And that absolutely uh, must be addressed. That's, that's number one. Um, the second thing, uh, is just the the burden, the the stress, the the hoops you have to jump through just to care to care for these patients. 
And that's rooted in the structure of the Medicare payment system itself. Um, you know, when we had, were able to eliminate the SGR, uh, we got MACRA uh, in replacement. Uh, and, you know, it fended off a significant cut across the board in Medicare. Uh, but what it gave us in exchange was uh, this series of legacy programs uh, kind of cobbled together, uh, quality reporting, alternative payments, different options uh, for physicians. It was aspirational and how it was put together. Uh, and unfortunately, those pieces just haven't worked very well together. Uh, and they've created a, a quite a burdensome uh, situation for physicians uh, look, who, who, who are practicing in Medicare. Um, <clears throat> quality reporting requirements uh, that seem unrelated uh, to the care that's being provided that aren't very clear where, uh, how this, you know, if I check this box or report this uh, information, how is that actually improving uh, the care I'm providing to my patient? The data uh, physicians get on how they're doing uh, is two years delayed. The incentive payments that they may get for uh, performing at an exceptionally high level uh, don't come to down the road. They're really disconnected from the care that's being provided. Uh, also, there was the promise of alternative payment models. Uh, a new way physicians can practice where they can focus on uh, particular models of care that, that are patient-centered, uh, that fit their practice, that fit their patient population. Uh, it gives them an alternative to a lot of these reporting requirements. Uh, but unfortunately, those never materialized, despite a lot of work done by physicians, the AMA, uh, medical societies, both state medical associations and specialty medical associations working to put forward ideas for payment models. Uh, they were never implemented by by CMS, and so uh, we're left with this uh, very complicated, very disjointed uh, program that seems to lack a lot of relevance and, and alignment, uh, and then also lack of predictability um, uh, for physicians to know what's coming down the road. What, what is the next payment cut going to be? Uh, whether I'm going to make uh, the, you know, qualify for that bonus. And so it's a very difficult situation. Well, I guess that is why reforming Medicare payment is such a key part of the recovery plan for America's physicians. Uh, as part of that, you recently worked with state medical and national specialty societies to develop a set of principles to guide advocacy efforts on Medicare payment reform. Tell us about those principles and, and why they're so important. Right. And it's and it's beyond payment. It's about how the system works to to better serve the needs of patients and, and, and to uh, make more sense and better uh, meet uh, physicians of where they are. Uh, focus on a couple of principles, you know, several you know, just key principles uh, simplicity, relevance, uh, alignment uh, across across practices and, and, and patient populations uh, and, and predictability, you know, which I mentioned earlier. It's really what would a rational uh, uh, Medicare payment system look like. And we work very closely with state medical associations, special, national medical specialties, uh, came together on a series of principles uh, focused on, uh, on, 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 the, on focused on those principles. Uh, some kind of, it put the meat on the bones of those ideas, if you will, um, and have over 120 uh, medical associations who have signed on to this. And this is what we are uh, taking to Capitol Hill. Number one, you know, of those of those principles is a positive inflationary based uh, update. Uh, and secondly, which is related, uh, modifying or replacing or revising the way budget neutrality uh, payment, uh, budget neutrality adjustments are are applied 
uh, in the physician practice areas so that we are not constantly having uh, dollars literally taken out of the payment system uh, and not and and not coming back in elsewhere. They they literally just just evaporate, uh, which really compounds uh, the, the the problem of not having any sort of in, inflationary update. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Um, we also need to do a better job of recognizing uh, physician practices uh, that are engaged in really exceptionally high value care and the savings that are associated with that to the Medicare system as a whole. Uh, right now, these payment models and efforts by physicians uh, to keep their patients healthy, there's not a lot of opportunity for uh, practices uh, to share in any of the any in any of the benefit uh, that they bring to the system by by keeping those patients healthier. We also really want to encourage collaboration and competition and innovation across physician practices rather than having people just throw up their hands <clears throat> and say, you know, I need to I need to become employed or or I need to uh, give up. Uh, this this type of practice. Uh, we need to make sure that not just the large, really advanced practices that may have the capital and, and the technology and the staff uh, to participate in really um, advanced models of care. We want to make sure that even the small practice that may not have access to that capital or other resources are able to participate in alternative models of, of care and payment uh, that benefit their patient, but also benefits the practice and, and Medicare as a whole. Uh, so those are just a couple of kind of the direction uh, that we've been talking to uh, our uh, physician, other physician organizations about uh, and taking that to Capitol Hill and offering this vision uh, so that we can set aside this annual battle, once again, of just trying to prevent cuts, trying to keep the system from collapsing, trying to keep physicians from having to walk away uh, and instead offer a picture, a vision, if you will, of what a new uh, modern uh, Medicare system focused on patients, uh, focused on sustainability, focused on innovation, uh, and the benefits that all that brings uh, to the Medicare system. Well, there's obviously a lot to learn, and it's critical that physicians understand what they're facing. Um, where can physicians uh, take a deeper dive into these recommendations and learn more? Well, we are going to be discussing it uh, uh, more. Uh, there's going to be a webinar on uh, the 27th of July, uh, 10 a.m. Central. Um, it's going to be hosted by AMA's uh, 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 board chair, uh, Dr. Sandra Feihofer uh, from Atlanta, uh, and also AMA's vice president of uh, government affairs, Cindy Brown, as well as uh, Jason Marino, our uh, director of congressional affairs. And we're really going to dig deeper into kind of what are some of the underlying causes of the instability, the difficulty in the current Medicare physician payment system and have a conversation about how physicians uh, as a community can get together and advocate uh, to Congress, the administration 
as well uh, for uh, the necessary improvements uh, in the system. And you'll find a link uh, to register for that event uh, below the description of this particular episode. Again, uh, don't miss that webinar on Wednesday, July 27th, 10 a.m. Central, uh, to talk more about Medicare reform. And we'll, of course, put that on demand uh, when it's completed. You can also find that guide to our rational approach to Medicare reform on the AMA website. Uh, switching gears, Todd, to another big challenge that physicians are facing. Uh, let's talk about what's happening in the wake of the Dobbs decision, which essentially overturns nearly half a century of precedent protecting patients' right to critical reproductive health care. I know that AMA President uh, Dr. Jack Resnick is testifying before Congress on this issue as we speak. How's the AMA advocating for physicians in response to this decision? Well, uh, thanks for that, Todd. And this is uh, certainly uh, in the healthcare field and perhaps larger, one of the most consequential uh, decisions we've seen uh, out of the court uh, in, a, in a very long time. Uh, AMA is, is strongly uh, advocating and working to protect uh, patients' rights uh, to reproductive health care and physicians' ability uh, to provide for uh, those patients' needs. Uh, Dr. Resnick, as you mentioned, is testifying in front of the subcommittee, a subcommittee of the Energy and Commerce Committee um, about, about that very issue uh, right now. Um, the fact of the matter is, and it's been our longstanding principle, that decisions like these, these are between patients and, and their physicians. And these are decisions that take place in the exam room. And the federal government, the state government, nobody uh, should be in that uh, exam room with that patient in that position while they are uh, working through and talking about uh, what can be a very, a, ve a very difficult, um, a very difficult decision. Um, unfortunately, uh, we have a lot of states, a lot of folks who who see see it differently, and and they believe that. Uh, the government does have a role in, in, in making some of these healthcare decisions. And so we're working, uh, talking with states, all states really across the country right now, state medical associations, uh, as we work through what does this decision mean? And it's obviously going to mean something different in every state. Um, uh, there are a number of states uh, where the implications of this means they're likely to see a vast increase uh, in patients coming to their state uh, for reproductive health care services that are no longer available uh, in their home state. And so they're figuring out not only how do they uh, help provide for that potential increase in needs, uh, but also um, what do they have to do to protect the physicians and those patients that come to their state from efforts by those in other states to uh, somehow uh, punish them uh, or hold them accountable uh, for care that is not, you know, permitted in the state from where the patient came. And it's a very complicated issue surrounding that. Of course, on the other hand, probably more significantly for, many, for most uh, is our states where uh, abortion procedures are now illegal or extremely limited uh, in, in um, the ability of patients to access uh, those services. The problem is that for year after year after year, states have passed law after law after law, setting up different regimes to limit or 
or deny access to these services. And now that the courts have basically removed the federal constitutional protection to access these services, states, many of them don't know what their law is. And if the state attorney general, if the state governor can't even articulate how all these different laws that may have passed over the years come together uh, and what it means for their state, physicians find themselves in a really impossible situation. Uh, uh, even if the law is clear though, in terms of limiting access or, or you know, to abortion services, uh, the physicians are finding themselves in an impossible situations uh, between their ethical and professional obligation to meet the healthcare needs of their patients, uh, frequently patients for whom there are serious, maybe serious healthcare consequences, um, and what the law says. It may be an ambiguous law, maybe not an ambiguous law, but um, in, in, sta in state after state that we talk about, talk to, a lot of people just don't even know what, what the law means. And this, this is not just, you know, limited to a case of elective abortion, but, you know, there are questions about EMTALA. There are questions about um, prescription uh, drugs that may have indications for abortion, but are also used for other reasons, whether those can be prescribed. Um, uh, we've already heard reports of pharmacies not stocking some drugs that are used for care other than abortion care or physicians feeling like they need to take their patients off uh, pharmaceutical agents that may uh, that may have a side effect of miscarriage and whether or not they would be charged with uh, with something in violation of state bans on abortion. So right now we are in a very confused state uh, and it's very confused 50 states, if you will, because the laws are so unclear as to what this means. It is going to take a long time uh, to work out and so we will continue to have conversations uh, with each state medical association and with many, many specialties who are also engaged in this uh, to try and uh, work through uh, the situation, provide our best guidance, determine the best course for advocacy and find out, figure out how we can best uh, support and meet the needs of physicians and most importantly, obviously their patients uh, uh, in this in this time. Well, you talked a lot about complications, lack of clarity. One of the areas uh, where uh, that exists definitely is around privacy protection. Can you give uh, some comments on that? So yeah, Todd, thanks for the question. Digital privacy is, is just a huge concern. Um, it has been a concern, not only in the context of the Dobbs decision, but it's something we've been talking to the administration and Congress about uh, for quite some time. Uh, there are a lot of apps out there, for example, uh, that patients use to track their healthcare conditions, uh, their menstrual cycles, for example, uh, and people willingly put their personal healthcare information into these apps without the understanding uh, that the information they are, they are sharing with these third parties does not have the same protections uh, that are afforded under HIPAA, for example, uh, to, their, to their medical record uh, at their physician's office. And so while that may have meant one thing uh, pre-Dobbs, uh, now that some of this information uh, could implicate uh, someone who has received, for example, an abortion in a state where it may not be legal, uh, I think that you know, the, the concern about who has access uh, to this information, who can subpoena this information, for example, 
is is a lot more is a lot more important for people right now. Uh, so the administration has put forward some guidance on on what information uh, must be shared and must and cannot necessarily be shared. Um, but also, uh, Congress is getting in on the act and and working to advance uh, digital privacy legislation as well uh, to bring some clarity and very importantly some understanding uh, to consumers uh, that that this information. Uh, that they are putting out there about themselves is not something that just remains, you know, in their phone or in their personal record. That that many of these services can take this information and sell it and use it for other purposes, uh, which clearly takes on a much more uh, a significant meaning uh, in the in the post ops uh, world. I guess people are discovering that the, there's a big difference between the physician patient relationships and the app patient relationship. Uh, Absolutely. Very much uh, concerned about that. Well, uh, uh, we'll continue to cover this and also hear about Dr. Resnick's testimony firsthand when he joins us next. That wraps up today's episode. Thank you, Todd, for being here and for all the important work that you and your team continue to do on behalf of physicians. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's physicians, visit ama-assn.org slash recovery. We'll be back soon with another moving medicine video and podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care. This has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine.